Lord Jesus, you make everything glorious, and that includes us. Lord, help us to know what this good news of your resurrection means for us in our lives. Help us in the words I say and the thoughts I think, or in the thoughts that we think in this next few minutes to understand you in a deeper way. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. It's great to have all of you here. Again, I want to wish you a happy Easter. The writer Ken Davis tells a story about a time that he was speaking to a group of Fortune 500 executives, but he had left his notes in his hotel room 10 floors above the ballroom where he was speaking, and he only had about five minutes to get them. So he sprinted onto the elevator, which was empty, but when the elevator stopped at his floor, it made a sound like the doors were opening, but the doors didn't open. And then the, the, then it started to climb again, but this time he was getting kind of panicked, you know, thinking, well, they're going to announce my name any minute now, and no one's going to be there, and that's going to be embarrassing. Elevator climbed again, stopped, made a sound like the doors were opening, but again, the doors didn't open. So he kicked him a couple of times, let out a few choice words, and then he started banging on the door, yelling as loud as he could, help, help, call the fire department, the elevator door is stuck. Well, then he heard a voice behind him say, no, it isn't. And he turned around and saw that it was one of those elevators with doors in the front and in the back. And there were seven people waiting to get on. And all of them looked a little afraid to be there with him. After he got done speaking, a woman came up to him and said, I heard you on that elevator. That was a bad word you said. Do you ever feel trapped by some kind of situation in life? Maybe it's a career that's stuck, relationship gone bad, a a health problem, bad habit that you can't break, a painful memory. Or maybe life is great. Got a great job, great family, life is up and to the right, but but you sometimes wonder, is this it? Or is there a, a bigger adventure to be had? Well, if Easter is about anything, it is about busting out of trap situations. Because when Jesus exploded out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, he showed that if he has the power to conquer even death, well, then he can break us out of any trap that we're in. And just briefly, I want to just give a few examples of some traps that Jesus can set us free from. For starters, Jesus can enlarge our world. You know, one of the traps I think our culture puts us in is to convince us that we're not trapped. To convince us that the best life has to offer is an impressive job, a good family, money, and a whole lot of comfort. And those are all good things, but if that's all there is to life, well, then that shrinks our lives down to this tiny little world of me and mine. And then we start to get restless and need bigger and bigger houses and more and more toys to keep ourselves happy. First time we took our kids to Disneyland, the the only ride they wanted to ride on at first was that stupid little Dumbo carousel, you know? And I'm thinking, okay, we can ride a carousel, you know, at Seattle Center. So I, I said to my wife, you know, they're not understanding the full wonder that is Disneyland. Their, you know, their idea of, of fun is just a little bit too small, so we need to expand their paradigm. So we took them on Pirates of the Caribbean. And then they realized, oh, so that's Disneyland. Oh, I get it. I think that's how we are in life sometimes. You know, we think, hey, I got a good job, good family, some money, all great things. But Jesus' resurrection is a paradigm-expanding event. Not even death can limit God. And that means he has so much more to give us than we can ever even imagine. Life is way bigger than we think it is. 
which is not the stereotype of Jesus, right? The stereotype of Jesus is he's out to take away all of our fun. Last week, my eight-year-old daughter brought a book to church with her, and someone asked her what the book was for, and she said, in case the sermon's boring, I want to read. It's kind of the stereotype of Jesus, right? He's boring, or, or at least I am. But the reality is when folks start to follow Jesus, he gives them an adventure. I know a businessman who loved to fly planes, so for years he saved his money so he could buy a plane. And then when he was almost at his goal, he started to follow Jesus. And Jesus led him to get involved in a Christian organization that helped street kids in Brazil. And a chance came up to build a home for, uh, for girls who were living on the streets. For him, it was no question. So he took all of his airplane money and built the home. And there are now 60 girls a year who are getting off the streets and getting an education. And whenever he visits them and sees how their lives are literally being saved, he feels like he is living large. He says, you know what? I don't have a plane and I never will. But this is way better. Think how small an airplane is. Think how big 60 saved lives a year is. Jesus expanded his world. But more than that, Jesus also gave him a relationship with the God of the universe, which really expands our world and breaks us out of the trap of feeling alone. You know, Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, all the other religions, they offer philosophies to follow, but only Jesus offers us a relationship. That businessman was being personally guided by the God of the universe, and when you are talking to the God of the universe, that is a rush. And what we celebrate today is that that God loved us so much, he was willing to come himself in the person of Jesus, die a terrible death to pay the penalty for our sins, be raised from the dead to show us how much he loved us. And if we just invite, us, invite him in, we can have a close personal relationship with the God who created over a billion galaxies that expands our world and sets us free from loneliness. A third way that Jesus sets us free is from our sin. And I know it sounds basic, but let me just remind you, we all got it. We all have it. We all have things we're not proud of, things we hide from other people, bad habits, mistakes we've made, ways we've hurt other people. And a lot of times we try to ignore it, right? Kind of pretend it's not there. Kind of try to just kind of put it behind us. And we say to ourselves, well, I'm a good person. Well, good compared to who? You know, Hitler? That bar's kind of low there, don't you think? <laughs> Mother Teresa? Eee, kind of high. Well, how good is good enough? Sometimes I've heard people say, you know what, every, every day I just kind of forgive myself, kind of cleanse myself of all the things I've done wrong. But you know what, I don't think forgiveness is a transaction we can have with ourselves. Because what about those people that we've hurt? The gossip that destroyed someone's reputation, the lie that fractured a relationship. You see, God cares about those people. And if God just ignored the ways our sin wrecks other people, that would not be a loving God. So God pays the penalty for our sins so that those sins are accounted for, but he does it himself so that we can go free. When Jesus died on a cross, he said, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And the it that was finished is our sin, our failures, our shame, put to death. And what that means is that we don't have to try to cover over those things with a lot of achievements as kind of a way of saying, don't look at my flaws, look at my successes. You know, I think part of the reason that God chose such a dramatic way to forgive us. And the cross is a dramatic way. I think part of the reason he did it so dramatically was to really make a point so that we would never doubt it again. We are forgiven. We are free. 
Which brings me to the last way that Jesus sets us free. And that is from death and dead ends in life. Here is a sobering thought. Every year you pass the date on which you will die. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) Perks you right up, doesn't it? You can run, but you can't hide. I recently heard a man in his 30s say that he had these two older aunts who kept bugging him to get married. And every time that they were at a family wedding, they'd nudge him and say, you're next, you're next. But he said they stopped doing that because he started saying the same thing to them at funerals. (laughs) It's coming for you one day. One day we're all going to die. But if we make Jesus our leader and forgiver, we will be raised to new life just like he was. And I know for some of you that's hard to believe, but not if you think about it for a minute. Because don't you think that the God that was capable of making all of this, the God who had enough power to make the atom, don't you think that God can rearrange the atoms of our body to make us live again at some point if we believe in Jesus? But it's not just physical death that he saves us from. It's also the dead ends we find ourselves in. The marriage that is on the rocks, the career that's going south, the health crisis, the financial problem. If Jesus can break free of death, he can break us out of those things as well. There is no door so stuck that Jesus cannot open it. Now, I know some of you right now are probably thinking, sounds great, but I don't believe it. Easter is just a myth. And I understand that. I used to be an atheist myself. And I want to commend you just for being here, because just the fact you're here shows that you've got an open mind. Before I was a pastor, I I taught in a university, and one of the courses I taught was argument and logic. And, you know, I was that guy that would write obnoxious comments on students' papers like, you know, your essay, though interesting, contains weak arguments and logical fallacies, C+. Right? I was that guy. (laughs) But I am convinced for many good arguments and many logical reasons that Jesus really is raised from the dead. I don't have time to go into it all here. Let me just list a couple. Jesus' disciples were all put to death for claiming that they had seen him raised from the dead. Folks will die for a lot of things, not something they know to be a lie. If you've been around here a lot, you know one of my favorite proofs is that women were the first witnesses of the resurrection. Because in Jesus' day, if you stole something and a hundred women saw you steal it, but there was no man there, you would go free. Because women were considered incapable of being reliable witnesses. If you were making this thing up in that culture, no way would women be the first witnesses. Then there's the Old Testament prophecies about where Jesus would be born and how he would die, written 500 years before Jesus, but still corresponding to events exactly the way they happened. Then there's the conversion of people like the Apostle Paul, who killed Christians for fun, but then became one himself because he saw the risen Jesus. That is a pretty big turnaround. right? That's bigger than if Rush Limbaugh suddenly started campaigning for Hillary Clinton. Or if the CEO of Pepsi called a news conference to say, you know what, Coke really is the real thing. (laughs) And there are a whole lot more reasons. A lot more reasons. And over the years, a lot of attempts to try to disprove the resurrection, but none have stuck. Not even James Cameron, recent assertion to have found Jesus' tomb. Even atheist archaeologists say, no way, Jesus' tomb has never been found. Bottom line is this, something happened circa 33 AD that has never happened before or since, and Occam's razor pertaining, the best answer is the simplest, Jesus rose from the dead. And you've got to deal with that. Because this is the most important question there is. Because if that's true, well then that validates his claim to be God. But the only real way to know for sure, and in my opinion the only way to be intellectually honest is to test it yourself. 
So if you don't follow Jesus, let me challenge you for one year. One year, get around some Christians who can explain this to you. Read a book called The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He was an atheist journalist who set out to disprove the resurrection of Jesus, but ended up convincing himself it was real. We have some copies out at the information desk. They're free. Uh, if you're already a follower of Jesus, we, we don't have enough money for, to buy one for everyone, so please leave it for the folks who are just kind of seeking. But if that's you, they're out there. And if we run out, give us your name. We'll get one to you. Read the Gospel of John in the Bible to see who Jesus is. And then since what Jesus offers us is a relationship, not a religion, talk to him. Pray, even if you don't believe in him. Simply say, if you're there, show me. You have nothing to lose and a whole lot to gain. Because Jesus can set us free in a whole lot of ways. And if you already know Jesus, trust that he can spring you from any trap you're in. A woman in our church named Kristen got an unusual email a while back. And this is what that email said. It said, hello, my name is Darcy. And I think I have a Bible that was given to you on your 15th birthday. Back in 1997, I found your backpack at a park when I was in a very dark time in my life. The only thing I kept was the small blue Bible. Inside the cover was a signature from your friends, Lynette and Megan. I googled your name to find your email address. I want you to know that I have many Bibles now, but this one is special to me. It delivered the word of God to a very lost soul, and I've treasured it. Well, Kristen knew from the details that this really was her Bible that she'd lost a long time ago. So she emailed Darcy back and asked, hey, it seems like there's a longer story behind all of that. Would you please tell me? So here's what Darcy emailed back in response. She said, there is a lot to my story, but first I wanted to provide enough information to you in a way that wouldn't creep you out so that you would know I'm for real. I have prayed for you frequently, and even though I don't know you, I feel connected through Jesus. Growing up, I never knew Jesus personally. I just thought God was this big, bad voice in the sky waiting to punish me. Then I got into alcohol and drugs at the age of 13. By 25, I had a son with a man I wasn't married to. He and I were addicted to heroin. And when our son was nine, my addiction was so bad, my sister took him back to her house to live with her. Well, I was sitting in a car one day, contemplating how to get my next fix, when I saw the backpack you'd left sitting in the grass. The Bible was the only thing I kept out of it, and for some reason, even though I've lost everything I've ever owned, I managed to hold on to that Bible. I believe it was God's way of delivering his amazing message of love to comfort me in the darkest time which was still yet to come. I stayed on a path of destruction, addiction, and suicidal thoughts for two more years. Then one night I was with a friend who asked if I'd pray with her to Jesus about my, the grip my addiction had on my life. I hesitantly prayed, thinking, why would Jesus listen to me? I'm just a dumb drug, drug addict who steals. But he did listen. And within a week I went to a recovery center. For the next six months, I began a close relationship with Jesus and accepted him as my savior. And your little blue Bible made that journey with me. I could tell you so much more, but I'll summarize by saying that I'm now a young life leader. I sing on the worship team at my church and I'm involved in a Celebrate Recovering program for addicts. My son just graduated with honors from high school and he's going to Jamaica to serve God and help other people. Needless to say, Jesus has changed my life so dramatically that people who know me now can't ever believe that I used to be a heroin addict. I'll gladly send you the Bible. Just please know that it's tattered and spilled on and has been well used. I hope it touches you back and that you share this story with others. Darcy. Real email. Real story. And there's a lot of traps in that story. Loneliness. Addiction. 
Guilt, shame, suffering, even thoughts of death. But there's also the power of Jesus to set us free. Because he makes everything glorious, and that includes us. And it didn't happen instantly. It took years, in her case, years. But Darcy heard the God of the universe call her by name. And through Jesus, he set her free and gave her a way bigger life than she had ever imagined. Not bad for one lost backpack, don't you think? Although somehow I don't think it was lost on accident. Now, your traps may not be as dramatic as Darcy's, but if Jesus can set her free from all of that, then what can he do for you? Do you want your world to be bigger? Jesus can give you adventure. Are you lonely? Jesus offers you relationship with him. Do you feel guilt and shame? Are there dead ends in your life? Jesus can open the door and set you free. The magician Houdini one time made a bet with Scotland Yard that he could get out of their prison. So they stripped him down and put him in a cell with a lock so high that he couldn't reach it. But before he came, he had swallowed a paper clip, which he then threw up. Kind of gross. And then he stood on his hands so that his leg could, could reach the lock, and he tried to pick the lock with his feet for two hours. But he couldn't do it, so finally he just gave up, and in despair, he leaned against the door, and it flew wide open. The guards forgot to lock it. Here's the deal. The devil can convince us that he's got us trapped, but he doesn't. Jesus has picked that lock and has set us free. Doctor tells you that you've got cancer and it feels like the door swings shut. Jesus has picked that lock and he'll either cure you or bring good things out of it and give you joy right in the middle of it. A marriage is breaking down. Jesus can unlock that marriage and make it wonderful again. I've seen him do it. The devil keeps reminding you of your sins and your burdens and your guilt and your shame. Jesus already picked that lock 2,000 years ago. And I've read the last chapter of the Bible. Let me spoil the ending for you. Jesus wins and the devil loses. So when the devil reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. The finances look bleak. You're fighting with your kids. You're out of work. You long for adventure. Jesus has the key. And because he lives, there is no trap that can hold you. No door so locked that he can't open it. No wall so high that he can't get over it. Not the sins we've sinned or the sins that have been sinned against us. Not the times we've failed or the times that we have been failed. Not trouble, not hardship, not peril, famine, persecution, nakedness of the sword. We may experience those things, but because he lives, they cannot win. They don't define us. They can't find us. It is finished. Not even death can hold us because the grave can't stop us because Jesus has won the victory. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors. Jesus has the key, and he can set you free. Christ is risen. Amen. Lord, help us to live into that great freedom that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen.